0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to our show where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, and more. Today we'll be talking about iPhone success leaks and build plans, Showtime going cable-free on Apple TV, Apple designing third-party product packaging, Neil's Mad Cat's iOS gaming controller review, a new GoPro camera, and HomeKit debuting at Apple Retail. We have with us Apple Insider Managing Editor, Neil Hughes. Hi, Neil. Hey, guys. How's it going? Welcome. Apple Insider Associate Editor, Shane Cole. Hola. ¿Cómo está? Bien. ¿Y tú? And I'm your host, Victor Marks. So let's jump right into this. The first topic is iPhone 6S parts continue to leak, and... There's there's this thought that the orders are going to be on the order of about 90 million of the phones, force touches in there. The thing that stuck out to me, and I think I saw people complaining about, was the notion that the potential iPhone success could be thicker than the current iPhone six.
1: Yeah, the, the rumor, rumor is that it's going to
2: be point, like a tenth of a millimeter, right? In, essentially, point two, point yeah, two. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah,
1: people are nuts. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, with the iPad Air 2 versus the iPad Air, it was slightly thinner, but it was within the, the range so that a lot of cases and smart covers still fit it. So, like, I still have a smart cover for the original iPad Air, and it fits the iPad Air 2. So this is really not going to be that much of an issue. You're not going to be able to tell. Um, it, it seems like it's just, it's just a very small amount.
0: So this is not like the third-generation iPad compared to the second-generation iPad where we had the fat one?
1: Uh, you mean the iPad Mini?
0: No, no, no. The, the iPad 3, the third generation, right? Yeah. That was the fat one. The, the first Retina iPad. Yeah, it was. It was, was it fatter? Retina. I don't I remember that. It was I don't know. so... I don't know. larger. Oh, God, it was thick. Back, heavier, well, larger, it, it, it was compared. the
1: first one with the Retina display, right? Yeah.
0: Well,
1: yeah. they did the same thing with the iPad Mini, because when they did the iPad Mini 2, they made it fatter to fit in. No. I mean, honestly... You know, the the phone is so thin um, that I wouldn't mind if they made it thicker and, and, uh, and put in a little more battery, frankly.
0: Well, let me yeah. ask. If, if you make the phone slightly thicker and you put in more battery, does this mean you don't have to have the camera stick out as
2: much?
1: God, yeah, that would that, be That amazing. would be nice. Yeah, make, make it thicker. I mean, you know, I, I, I prefer the 4-inch or even 3.5-inch phone, so I'm clearly the odd man <clears> out on that one. But, uh, yeah, make it thicker. I don't I don't care. And, you know, not to stir up a bend gate here or whatever, but like, for example, um, my wife had to get one of her phones swapped out because the corner screen was just like kind of coming off like the glue on it or whatever. And she took it in and they're like, oh, yeah, your phone is just slightly bent. And so the screen was popping off in the corner. So, you know, if they make it a little thicker and a little more durable to prevent that kind of stuff. Um, supposedly they're switching to uh, series 7,000 aluminum, whatever that means, uh, the same aluminum that, uh, is on the Apple watch. And supposedly it's a little more durable than what they use in the iPhone six. So, you know, those kind of changes are good, a little thicker supposedly to fit in the new components in the screen for force touch and all that.
0: What I thought I saw in some of the, uh, the rumors was a different internal structure, which would support more, uh, more rigidity and less bending. But the, the different grades of aluminum, you know, there's, there's 6061 or the 6000 series that's sometimes called aircraft aluminum. The 7000 series is, is just a slightly higher different alloy.
2: Right, Shane? Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's essentially correct. It's not <laughs> necessarily that it would be... Switching to a different aluminum wouldn't necessarily... Alright, I'm not a material scientist, so let me get that out of the way before I <laughs> yes. <descend. This> leave <laughs> my <laughs> mouth. But by and large... Um, this move probably would not mean a whole lot for the structural rigidity of the product, right? It's about making the the phone itself more durable when you drop it. Or in my case, I have slate walls in my bathroom, so if I uh, am walk like walking around holding so my phone, you I throw more your than phone once thrashed it on the wall. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, that's the kind of stuff that this switch will help. And as for a different internal structure, these phones are unibody. Uh, the the mounts are milled into the body of the phone itself. So I don't know how much they can really do, uh, do there. But yeah, it's it's not about necessarily making the phone more resistant to bending or making it you know more hardy if you run over with a car. You know, it's about the everyday problems that people actually have, which is I drop it from six inches above my table and the quarter dents things like that.
1: Does anybody else miss the uh glass back from the 4 and the 4S? I don't. At all.
0: I kind of do. It was an easy back to replace. Two screws, you my, slide that sucker down about a quarter of an inch and it pops right off. That was fantastic.
2: So my dad still has an iPhone 4 uh, because, you know, he's uh, kind of old. And his the back of his iPhone 4 is duct taped because it's been shattered, shattered. shattered so many times. <laughs>
0: uh we once made, I, I worked for a place that once made cases and that this, this uh, we had a uh, an aluminum case that was not a full case cover that covered the sides of the phone it simply was flat back with a camera hole and a really really tiny like two millimeter um, lip that covered just the sides of the back so if you had shattered glass you put that on there and it looked like your phone was now aluminum on the back
2: there's some f- cover for the iPhone 6, I hesitate to call it a case, but some cover for the iPhone 6 that is actually thinner than the camera protrusion on the back of the phone.
1: How well does every it time I, It's not protecting it. Yeah, I
2: mean, what, is, what is the point what of What have that? you accomplished? <laughs> you've, yeah, you've decorated the phone. You? That's what you've done. I mean, you've essentially made it scratch-proof at this point, you know, and not so much damage-resistant. Yeah, I well, why wouldn't you just throw one of those, those power support clear films on at that point?
0: Well, I mean, it, it, if you put a band around the, uh, the sides of it, you'd protect the corners. And that's what this essentially
2: is, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I guess. Actually, you know what? That would be a case I would actually buy is like a thin rubber band that could be heat shrunk around the corners of the phone. That I would use on my phone. Intriguing.
0: Cool. Well, if someone makes that, we'll let you know. Neil, I went to E3 and I brought back a controller for you. Now you're gonna have to remind me. I, I brought back the Mad Cats Micro C T R L. Is that right? C T R L I. Oh, the I. Sorry. Tell me about this thing. Because I got it. I didn't even take it out of the box. I sent it right on to you.
1: Uh, yeah, it's got a it's got a terrible name, um, but thankfully I think that's the worst thing about the product. Uh, generally speaking, I'm, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, I think the real selling point of this controller is its price point. Uh, you're looking at a uh, fifty dollars price point, but uh, it's as low as forty uh, on Amazon, uh, depending on the color that you choose. And that's really been the big knock right against these controllers from the start has been the price on them. I reviewed the first ones when they came out, and they were a hundred bucks, and that's crazy. You know, I got a six hundred fifty dollars phone or whatever, uh, and then I got to buy a hundred dollars controller to play games on it or five hundred dollars iPad, as it were, or whatever, right? So it was just... Especially when you look at the controllers for PlayStation, Xbox, all that, they sell for 60 bucks, and they're pretty nice, and they have a lot of features to them. So hitting $50 is a really big deal, I think, for this controller just being in that whole world. Because the other ones I reviewed that were pretty good were $70, $80, and I just can't recommend it at that price, right? Um, If you really, really, really want to play games on your iPhone, um, that are more like consoles and not angry birds or something like that, then okay, maybe $80 for a controller is worth it to you. But I don't think for most people it is. So at $50, this is a pretty good controller. Uh, I like the size. It's, um, it's smaller, but, um, it's not too small. Um, it is, the buttons feel very good. Um, uh, everything it's just a solid construction. It feels pretty pretty good. I didn't have any issues with connectivity or lag or anything like that when I was testing it out. The biggest knocks that I have against it are it uses two AAA batteries instead of a rechargeable battery, which is part of how it reaches that cheap fifty dollars price point. That's the cost savings. Um, yeah, and some people, you know, like I was talking to Shane about this, he would prefer having swappable batteries, and I understand that. Um, I don't use batteries with anything anymore, double A's or AAA's. And if I did, you know, like Apple in their ecosystem has AA batteries used with Magic Mouse, Magic Trackpad, uh, the keyboard. So I think that Madcast probably should have gone with double A batteries instead of triple A um, just to kind of fit in with Apple's other uh, devices and things like that. Um, and then they have a, a mount um, that... Um, is pretty secure, which is good when you're holding your $650 phone. You want to make sure your phone's not going to go anywhere when you're playing games. And you wouldn't want to play with a controller like this without a well with your iPhone without a mount because where are you going to put the phone when you're playing, like if you're on the train or whatever, right? Um, So I like that they have the mount, but it's removable and you have to kind of snap it on. And it just feels like something that you're either going to lose or it's going to break because it takes a lot of force to kind of snap it in because it feels secure. So uh, those are my main knocks against the product. Um, but I would say uh, if you don't really care about the removable mount, or if you're just going to be playing on your iPad, for example, and you don't even want the mount, um, and the battery issue doesn't bother you, at fifty bucks or even forty bucks, uh, this is a great buy. Um, I would have no problem recommending it to people. But these prices need to come down. Honestly, this controller should be like thirty bucks.
2: So how uh, how does it feel compared to the Xbox 360 controller, which is my favorite gaming controller, maybe ever?
1: Have you used the Xbox One controller? I haven't. So I'm a big fan of the Xbox 360 controller as well, and most of these controllers, including the Madcats, are a straight ripoff of the Xbox 360 controller. That's kind of become the standard for these controllers, right? Um, It feels a lot like an Xbox 360 controller. The Xbox One controller is an improvement on the Xbox 360, I think. But it has a lot of bells and whistles in there, right? It's got some sort of uh, motion sensing component in it. Um, it's got uh, these really neat, uh, Microsoft put in these uh, rumbles in the triggers themselves. So like when you're playing a racing game, you can feel the brake uh, on your fingertip rather than the whole controller vibrating. Um, and that's all for you know a $60 controller. So <laughs> when they're getting that kind of stuff in there, um, assuming that Microsoft's making a profit when they're selling these at least, um, it makes the prices on these... Uh, iOS one's not so great but if you like the Xbox 360 controller you like this Madcats one it, it feels light uh, just because there's no integrated battery in it and it lacks the components of a 360 controller like rumble and all that other stuff but it's comfortable the thumbsticks feel good the buttons are responsive um, the triggers are slightly shallow but that's because it's a smaller controller but you still get that feel of the triggers and stuff um, it, it's good. I would have no problem recommending it to people that really want a controller, but if you're iffy and going, eh, I don't know if I need one, I don't know how much I'd play, I don't know that anybody would want to spend $50 on something like this for any type of controller, right? I mean, it would it, it, when you compare it to what you get with a console, it just doesn't compare.
2: So is that your, does this mean that, that the Mad cats is your new recommended iOS controller? I'm asking because I have a Steel Series Stratus, which I bought uh, last year while I was doing my totally ill-conceived round-the-world trip. Um, so that's the one just, without the clip, right? Yeah, it's the small wireless one. Oh, the, ve- the really so, small one. Yeah, the, the very so, first one, the little one.
1: I reviewed that one, and I didn't really understand. they did. They went out of their way to make it as small as possible, right? And it was an impressive yeah. achievement. I mean, they had all the buttons, four shoulder buttons on it, Um, The face buttons, two thumbsticks in a very small form factor, and it was like, oh, this is really cool. But then you start using it, and it's way too cramped to play anything on. And then why they chose to have protruding thumbsticks on something else where they made every other possible concession to make this thing as small as possible, right? And then they have two protruding thumbsticks, like no one ever heard of a slide pad before that's been on the Nintendo 3DS for how long? If they would have put two slide pads on there, I would have said, well, it makes a lot of concessions, but man, it's flat, it's small, you could throw it in a bag, whatever. But with the design of the Steel Series with those protruding sticks, you can't put it in a pocket, right? So they, I think they blew it on that one. I didn't really think that one was very good. Um, and the problem with that one is, and even the, the larger Steel Series, they have the Steel Series XL, there's no mount, there's no clip. So it's basically an iPad only controller, right? Because. Right. I would think for most situations, even if you're on an airplane, you're going to want to prop up your phone in some way or something. Um, so having a mount is a big part of it. So the two that I recommend, and I gave them uh, both the same score, three point five out of five, is this Madcat's CTRL I. Uh, there's a larger version of it that's twenty percent bigger. Um, this is the micro that I reviewed, and then the other one is um, it's the Moga controller, the Moga Rebel. Um, mm-hmm. I have them both sitting here in front of me right now, I'm looking at them, and the MOGA Rebels advantage is it's a little bit bigger than the Mad Cats'. so if you got bigger hands you might like that, but the clip is actually built into the controller in a way that it's not removable. It just kind of uh, clamshells down onto the controller, so if you're playing on an iPad, it's just uh, hidden and you don't see it, and then if you want to play on an iPhone, you open it up and then prop it in there and it's very secure, and it's a very thick plastic arm that's not going to break or go anywhere. So I think that the construction is better, and then obviously the MOGA has the built-in battery, which the Mad Catz lacks. But it's 30 bucks more. I mean, how much do you care about the built-in clip and the rechargeable battery is the question so you're going to ask.
0: So I, I want to talk about built materials for a second, right? The, the costs that you've highlighted are the rechargeable battery. They both have uh, the made-for-iPod authentication chip in them. They right. they both have that license fee that you have to pay when you're a made-for-iPod kind of, of product, right? Right. And they – You know, Besides just the battery, there are the pieces that go along with that. You have to have a charge controller. You have to have a port for charging. So all of these things add cost. It doesn't add $30 of cost, but that's what happens when you say that's my my bill of materials cost, and then you have to add in the margin for the retailer and the margin to make profit and and the margin for a distributor, and and it adds up quickly.
1: And Apple has very specific requirements, and that, like you say, adds up to the cost. And one of the reasons that these controllers cost so much is all the buttons on it are pressure-sensitive. Even the face buttons, um, even the D pad, which, which is. On which model? The MoGo or all the. Of them. Okay. All of them. That's every controller that's made f- per Apple's specifications. They all have to have pressure sensitive buttons. So you can press the A button harder or whatever. Now, uh, that's that's cool. I mean, I'm not complaining that it's on there, but what games are taking advantage of this, right? Um, even on traditional consoles. Uh, there aren't a lot of games that are using pressure-sensitive buttons on the face buttons themselves. Pressure sensitivity comes more into play when you're talking about the triggers. If you're playing a racing game, you can pull the trigger halfway to make your car not go as fast or something like that, right? So um, it's one of those things, like, you know, with with these face buttons, you're either hitting it or not. To have the pressure sensitivity on it probably is driving up the cost in a way that doesn't need to be done. And same with the D-pad. Um, it's nice. Like I had, uh, one of the controllers I reviewed that was awful was the Logitech. Um, it was a clamshell who just changed their name yesterday, by the way. They're, they're now Logia instead of Logitech. But anyhow, it was, it was a terrible controller. It was no, uh, thumbsticks, just a D-pad. And the only thing that was nice about that was because the D-pad was pressure sensitive. If I was playing a 3D game like Grand Theft Auto, I could make the character walk slower by slightly pressing the D-pad. But even then, it was not like, you know, there's, there's not a lot of room to work with when you're pressing a D-pad. To lightly press a D-pad, you almost got to go out of your way to do it. So I, I don't know that that's necessary. And, and I wonder if, you know, in these specifications, it almost seems like whoever signed off on this stuff on these controllers and these requirements didn't really think it through very much. Because i got to wonder how much it's necessary to have all those buttons be like that.
2: I'm curious how much of the cost of these controllers is down to the fact that they don't expect to sell very many of them.
1: Well, I think they're going to sell more of them when they inevitably add games to the Apple TV, right? I think that is really where it all is going to come together. Um, One of the things they did with iOS 8... um, So one of the uh, uh, types of uh, controllers that Apple allows is one that plugs into the lightning cable and basically becomes, or lightning port, and basically becomes a case for the phone. It's clamshells on there. And the problem with that is if you buy that, then you can't use it with an iPad or whatever. So in iOS 8, uh, Apple added a feature so that you can use your iPhone essentially connected to one of these controllers as a Bluetooth controller for an iPad. So you can use it with both devices and it's not just limited to your iPhone or whatever. And I could see that being a big thing for, like, an Apple TV, right? So an Apple TV with Bluetooth, you can get a clamshell-style controller. connects to your phone. And then you go home and you want to play the same thing. The game's on your Apple TV, but you can use the controller on your phone as the controller with your TV, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, but if I'm Logitech, I can't plan my business around what Apple may eventually do, right? So I'm, if I'm sitting here and saying, I need to recover my R&D and marketing costs for this product. Right based only on what I know is going to happen right now. And I have to believe that the, the sphere of people who are willing to buy game controllers for iPhones and iPads, I mean, we're pretty big nerds, right? We, we both like playing games, but right. even, Speak for we, are sitting here, even <laughs> we are sitting here saying, you know, there's not a whole lot of utility in these right now. So I have to wonder if they're just sitting and looking at the projected sales numbers and saying, we want to be in this business in case it goes well. But we're not, you know, super sure that it's going but to. Why
1: hamstring why it that's, from that's, the that's
2: start? Make our controllers.
1: Yeah, but why hamstring it from the start with these with these crazy requirements? I, I, don't, I don't, I don't get it. Uh, yeah, that's developed. it's like we talked
2: about the other day, right? There, our suspicion, or my suspicion, is that Apple is designing. They're playing a heavy hand, like they always do, with accessory makers. But I think that their goal is to not let. Um, games and accessory makers skirt the phone itself, right? So that you don't end up with a situation where you have a game that really requires a controller to actually be useful. They want the controllers to do the same things and only the same things that you can do with just a touchscreen.
1: Yeah, I can see that. But they're slowly getting away from that stuff. You look at iOS 9 and the... Uh, New hardware keyboard functions like the quick switching between apps is more Mac-like, that kind of stuff. It's one of those things where Apple is just kind of slowly adding these features as they go along. I mean, they were resistant to allow the camera shutter feature uh, with the volume button for how long. They used to ban apps that would do that. And then now it's built into the OS. So uh, I think that some of these things are inevitable. And I think the controllers were inevitable Apple knew that. Why they hamstrung it from the start, I don't really know. But um, like, let's say that you bought one of the first gen uh, controllers, which were clamshells. The two first two that came out were the Logitech, which I hated, and there was the Moga Ace Power, which was an interesting concept It like collapsed and then expanded, and you could slot your phone in there. It was a hundred bucks. Uh, let's say you spent a hundred bucks on that when it came out. It fit the iPhone 5s and iPhone 5. Didn't even fit the iPhone 5c. Uh, a year later your controller is now essentially obsolete, right? Because there's an entirely new form factor for the phone. <laughs> you know, like, so who, who's going to want to spend $100 on these? You know, if, 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 and so that's why nobody's making the clamshell designs anymore, because I'm sure that, that the, both those companies got screwed. And so now you see these ones coming out, the Madcats, the new MOGA, um, the Steel Series, none of them have that uh, design where they, where they're a case, where they connect to the lightning port. They're all Bluetooth now. I I haven't seen a new, one that connects to the lighting port since his first two.
0: All right, moving on. <laughs> we spent a while on this. You mentioned Apple TV, and I want to talk about Apple TV for just a second because Showtime debuted on Apple TV this past week with a free 30-day trial. So we're beginning to see a lot more in the way of, of channels appearing on, on Apple TV. We've had HBO Now. We've got Showtime.
2: So is this our brave new a la carte future? Before That's we expensive. before we start on that, I just want to note that Showtime is actually on Apple TV twice. It has yes. its own app, but it's also on Hulu, and it's actually cheaper if you subscribe through Hulu. It is. So,
0: it's uh, seventy nine. I, thought, I thought
2: that was interesting. So it's it's seven ninety
0: nine a month for Hulu, and then an additional eight ninety nine for Showtime versus buying Showtime on its own for what is the price fourteen ninety nine or ten ninety nine.
1: It's eleven ninety nine.
0: Eleven ninety nine, or,
1: or maybe dollars <laughs> It's yeah, it's like ten or eleven bucks. Whatever. Okay,
0: so so yes, it's totally cheaper to go ahead and get Showtime and Hulu at once than it is to get Showtime on its own.
1: Well, if you want to pay for Hulu,
0: if yeah, if you want
2: Hulu,
1: yeah, assuming yeah,
0: and the the Showtime on Hulu is a very recent thing too. Only in the past month or so has that been available.
2: Right. Well, they launched simultaneously.
0: Mm, No, they didn't. At least I got the launch notification on the same day. uh, The the Hulu was earlier.
1: Okay. Well, anyhow, it's a more expensive a la carte future because now you look at these premium channels and, you know, fifteen bucks for HBO, eleven bucks, twelve bucks, whatever for Showtime. Now you're at twenty seven bucks. Nah, <laughs> You know, how many people are going to want to pay for that uh, month in and month out? I don't know. Especially when, you know, Netflix you can get for, what, eight bucks a month? Right. And it, Netflix is doing original content. Uh, they have, uh, so one of, the, one of the features of Showtime, I can access all the old episodes of Dexter. You know where else all the old ex- episodes of Dexter are? They're on Netflix. Well, so. only
0: the first season or season two are any good anyway.
1: Well, I I mean, I agree, but <laughs> if you if you want to watch this stuff, right? Uh Showtime probably needs to charge less or keep the tighter lid on their content or something because you know, HBO it's, is its own thing.
2: I think it's going to be the latter, but you you're not going to see Showtime shows on other VOD services as we go forward. There was a really interesting piece uh earlier today or yesterday uh about how ESPN is treating VOD and part of the context was that channels are now recognizing that subscriber revenue is way more important than ad revenue. It's way more. It's more stable. It's more predictable. And in the long run, it can be you know, higher. And this is terrifying ESPN because right now they're seeing uh, uh, cable company revenues drop. So the the money that they get from cable companies to carry their channels on different packages. And this is a huge catalyst for why they're moving so quickly now versus what they were doing even a year ago into the VOD space. It's why they sign on to Sling TV. It's why they're probably going to be on Apple's new TV service. And that's interesting as you look at the VOD landscape right now, because you have all these expensive silos, right? $8 a month for Hulu, $12 a month for Showtime, $15 for HBO, 8 for Netflix. At what point do consumers say, well, now I'm just getting just as screwed now as I was before, and I have less stuff. We're, we're really you know? close to that point.
0: Now, I've, yeah. I've been a cord cutter, as they call it, since 2008. I, uh, I got rid of, of – I had DirecTV for a while. I got rid of that. I had cable. I got rid of that. I have internet only, and I have Netflix and Hulu primarily. And if I bother, Amazon Prime instant video. And that's enough. I I get by very happily on that. But if I were to add back all of the other channels, if I were to add back a Showtime, add back an HBO, add back you know, whatever other service, Sling as well, it starts getting back up there to the same or more than I was paying for a bundle from one of the cable providers. And the other thing that a lot of people ignore is that when you unbundle, when you take away the TV service, you take away the phone or the cellular service or whatever bundle they offer, your internet cost goes up accordingly.
1: Yep.
2: I think realistically, that's why you're going to see companies start to put a tighter lid on their content. I mean, at this point, if you, want to, if you watch a bunch of different shows, if you watch, um, well, not Mad Men anymore, but if you watched Mad Men and uh, Masters of Sex and um, I can't think of a current HBO show, but we'll say Band of Brothers, right? It's
1: Game financially...
2: Of Game of Thrones. There we go, Game of Thrones. It's financially better off for you to buy full seasons of those from iTunes than it is to pay the subscription fees to watch them.
1: No, it's not. Sure, it's so, a, no, if, if a, a full fight.
2: 16 <laughs> a full season.
1: season of Game of Thrones is like 45 bucks on iTunes.
2: Yeah, and how many months of HBO do you have to pay for that?
1: Well, I, yeah, I mean, Three I months, guess if season, all, if months all months. you do is watch. But the other thing that they do is they don't release it on DVD or iTunes until the new season is about to premiere. So you won't get the season that just aired of Game of Thrones until like March of 2016. So you're a full year behind and you're going to get spoiled or whatever. So So it's not like Hulu. You can't
0: watch it episode by episode as they come out?
1: No, they don't allow that. So HBO holds on to them because it's a marketing ploy for them, right? So they can build hype for the new season by selling the old season to people that want to catch up. So it works out well for them.
2: So that's a valid point that I actually wasn't aware of because I was looking at it from the AMC model. I watch Mad Men was one of my favorite shows ever, and you can buy the series of Mad Men as it's airing. So you get them an hour or whatever after they air. I didn't realize that HBO held their stuff back like that.
1: Yeah, and, and AMC doesn't care as much, right? Because AMC is getting money from the cable providers and from advertisers and all kinds of stuff. So for them, it just kind of sweetens the pot. HBO is completely different. HBO is based solely on subscribers. And so the way that HBO wants to stay relevant is that so-called water cooler conversation, right? They want people to be buying HBO because it's cool, because you're with it, because you're hip, because you're up on the latest shows. You, you know what's going on in HBO. and that's their, Did you just that's call really me uncool? Is, very uncool. But, I mean, that's kind of their, that's you, their business model. You declared mark.
0: that you were a nerd earlier, didn't you?
1: Oh, we're all well, nerds. I declared that we were all nerds. All we're, right. we're on we're the we're Apple on? Insider podcast. We're nerds.
2: <laughs> just okay? about to say that. <laughs> Jeez.
1: But, yeah, I mean, HBO, uh, uh, they want to have, you know, people paying for their – and they, they do it brilliantly, right? As soon as one season ends, a new one begins. So uh, Game of Thrones ended. Next week, True Detective was on. And so I pay for HBO throughout the year $15 a month because – for me, even if I'm only watching one show on HBO, it's worth it for me to keep paying for HBO, even if I don't care about their movies or you know some of the other shows. Like Everybody Loves Silicon Valley, I probably should watch it considering what I do, but I haven't watched it yet. But I can access I it on there anytime I, I, I want. I can't
2: Silicon Valley.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I, but I'm watching True Detective. I watch it on Sundays. Uh, it starts airing at 9 o'clock. I can start streaming it on demand as soon as it starts to air on the show. I do wish there was a linear network where I could watch it live and just kind of go, oh, I wonder what's on HBO and watch that. But other than that, it works great. Um, And Showtime, I'm happy about that because I'm a Showtime subscriber but only for Homeland. So when Homeland's over, I don't watch Masters of Sex. I don't watch Ray Donovan. I don't watch any other shows on there. I don't care. So when Homeland comes back presumably in September or whenever it's coming back, I'll pay them the $12 a month. And then when Homeland ends, I'll stop paying them the $12 a month and that's it.
0: All right. Well, I am still anticipating a an Apple TV service that encompasses all of these things because until that time, I'm, I'm just looking at the math and I'm going to stick with Netflix and Hulu.
1: Well, it's not going to encompass HBO and Showtime because their business model, nothing's really changed there, right? If you have cable, you might bundle them and get a discount, mm-hmm. but they're still charging that amount on cable. So nothing's really going to change there. Who It's really going to affect our deep cable networks. Like no one is going to get uh, you know History Channel International or something. If History Channel International costs you twelve dollars a month, it might be one of those channels that you flip through and go, "Oh, that's fascinating" or whatever. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these deeper cable channels that people watch one or two shows on just aren't going to be worth it. And if if this cord cutting really catches on, that's where you're going to see huge swaths of networks that are just being uh, propped up by the current cable. Uh, system of collecting money f- from subscribers and all that, and selling you channels and bundles and all that. A lot of those channels are going to start to die.
2: Right. So what if you end up with just a microtransactional approach, where you do get things like HBO, but to watch an episode of True Detective costs
1: you three dollars. Well, then it's just iTunes, right?
2: Yeah, but I'm saying, what if the the eventual goal is to make everything. Wrap sh- everything in that sphere right it's I don't I don't think that they, cent app store.
1: I don't think they want that because it, with Netflix and with services like that and even Microsoft figured this out a while ago with Xbox Live getting those recurring um, subscriptions is the easiest way to keep money coming in because people are lazy they pay for it you know they still have their Netflix disk uh, subscription and they haven't watched anything in three months but they're still paying for it I mean I did that for a year geez so you know it's just once you have that inertia of Oh, I'm paying for it. Oh, I got it. It's nice to have, you know. You just keep paying for it. If you have to make a conscious transaction every time and go, "Do I want to pay $3 for this episode of True Detective?" I don't know that that's the business model they want. I think they just want it. I think they want your credit card and they want to have those recurring subscriptions. Even Apple Music, right? They you're going to start paying them $10 a month or 15 if for a family plan, and you're going to go, "Oh, I like it. Yeah, I'm not going to cancel it." They want you to pay for it till you're in the grave.
0: And on that note, <laughs> I'd like to talk about one of our sponsors. So, Neil, you've got Apple Watch, right? I do. And you bought one for your wife. Yep. You love your wife?
1: Uh, sometimes, <laughs> yes, I do.
0: <laughs> awesome. Shane, you have an Apple Watch. I do. Brilliant. I don't have one of those things. But you guys remember way back in March, Kevin Lynch had the, the Apple Watch keynote where they were getting ready to, to make this publicly available as the watch. It wasn't the introduction. It was the actual demonstration of the thing, right? Yeah, And he showed off a a demo where he got a text on his watch and then he opened an app on the watch and in real time opened a garage door and had video of it, what was going on. And he put that up on the screen. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, it was really cool.
0: So that was the Alarm.com smart home security app that he was showing during the Apple Watch keynote. And our sponsor for this week is Alarm.com. He was able to, from his watch, see the text, respond to the text – and then open the garage door and see video that the garage door had opened, all from his watch, which was kind of cool. It was a great demo. And Alarm.com wants everyone to know, wants all of our listeners to know, that they are the leading cloud-based smart home technology provider. They have over 25 million devices and sensors on their platform and 2.3 million subscribers protecting homes and businesses. So everyone should feel really secure using Alarm.com's smart home security app. They uh, they think they're more reliable than secure than other systems. They've had 100% dedicated cellular connection into your home, so you're not vulnerable to cutting phone lines or a downed broadband connection. You know, when the backhoe drives through the uh, the cable connection and you lose Internet connectivity, your alarm still works. They're professionally monitored, so a real person at a central monitoring station will help to get emergency response to your home in case of an emergency. They have... They're mobile apps, you can control security, thermostat, video monitoring, lights, locks, and garage doors. You're not actually switching between five or six different apps to control each of those things. You can do it all through that one mobile app from them. And the systems can be professionally installed and maintained by trusted local security experts, so you don't have to worry about who's going to bring this thing in. It's, it's a reputable thing. If you're listening to this program, you, you probably love Apple. And Alarm.com wants everyone to know that they're an innovator as well. They pioneered the smart home security space. They were the first to launch a native app to control your home. And they were the first location-based automation features. They're the leading provider of smart home security. And they're sold through over 5,000 trusted security professionals across the United States. If you're interested in smart homes, sign up for smart home security this month and receive a free smart thermostat. Go to Alarm.com to find your local security dealers and enter the promo code APPLE. Alarm.com. Safe home, smart living. I'd be curious to know if you guys try that out, how it works on the Apple Watch. New topic. Apple expanded control of third-party products with new retail packaging touts tested iPhone cases. So there are really two parts to this story. The first is that Apple has created a section in their store, in the, uh, the online store, I believe, that talks about tested cases in, in terms of cases that are protective, that they've, they've actually gone ahead and done drop testing on, and said these are the ones
2: that are really going to protect your stuff. So actually, that's not a special section. Go on. That's an advertising campaign that just links directly to their existing case section. I think the implication is that they've always done tests, right? The implication is that everything in their store is tested to some degree. They don't sell terrible stuff. Yeah, and what they're saying here is that uh, you should buy cases from us instead of the dude on the street corner because we actually test to make sure that they won't make your phone suck, right? Right. Right which, when combined with the new third-party accessory boxes that we've seen, which are all white, and I imagine you'll eventually go into an Apple store and there will be completely devoid of color, save for the pink iPhones on the tables. It's clearly pushing in a direction where Apple wants to be, for lack of a better term, it's a more couture experience, right? Apple is trying to say, we're going to sell you high-quality stuff of our own, we're going to sell you high-quality stuff From other people, and you should never have to go buy from anywhere else because we are going to give you the best, most, I guess, luxurious experience that you could possibly have. Right now, Apple has always given guidance on
0: product packaging. This is this is not the first time that Apple has given uh, criticism and guidance and even dictates to third parties to change their packaging. Apple has always had a set of guidelines for packaging that have specified dimensions for the box for a certain type of product. You know, iPod touch case has these outer dimensions and has a peg, uh, a peg hook, a Euro hook. The iPhone case goes in a box this way. And, you know, Apple's always said that it bears certain logos that specify what it works with and dictated what those logos are going to be. They've always said that a box has to be easy to open. It has to be Openable so that a consumer on the store floor can go ahead and take it out and try it on their phone and then put it back and the packaging won't look like garbage after it's been handled like that so that they don't have to take it off and can't sell it. Uh, This is in contradiction with everyone else's retail experience where if you bring a package into a Target store, a Walmart store, a Best Buy store, any of these other stores, the first requirement is please put security stickers all over it so we can lock it down on a peg and no one get to get into it. Apple's position is design the package to be opened and closed and reopened without it looking terrible or worn. It's not unusual for there to be a a product that has an Apple package SKU or a separate packaging SKU for some other retailer, and it's not unusual to get guidance from Apple on what the package should be, both on how it should sit on the shelf or where it will be housed in Apple's store or what the dimensions should be, or even down to what the front of the box should look like. You know, should it have spot UV? Should it have, you know, where should the logos be? Things like that. They, they've always given guidance on this and even dictated it and even consulted on it, right? Send us your packaging files and they'll go ahead and edit them and send them back to you or, or put pointers and notes on them and send them back to you and you do it. And so I'm, I'm wondering, is this really a big new story other than what we're seeing as the result of Apple having changed that guidance so that all of the third parties are becoming more uniform? Yeah, it's I think. Not, I mean, I it's think not it's not an interesting
1: story. Apple is <laughs> control freak, and we're talking about boxes of products. Who cares?
2: I was going to say, I think that while it's not an interesting story per se, from the, all right, maybe I'm different. All right, I'm a designer. I just had, I'm not joking about this, a 20 minute conversation the other day with someone about those little pull tabs on the hanging hooks. The euro, you hook. know, so you can. Yeah, so you can open the so the hook does double duty to close the box and you can easily open it still. Yes. So maybe I'm actually, you know, more far more interested in this than you a normal human being. Nerd. You I mean. are the packaging nerd. I love it. <laughs> yes, I am. Well, you know, what can you say? But my point was that they are control freaks, but now they – I think that this points in a direction where you're going to see even more of a lockdown of Apple's products, right? You've seen when they go in, they used to do authorized resellers and you got a little kiosk or whatever and that was that. Every country you've seen come on with new authorized resellers in the last, say, two years, those stores are essentially miniature Apple stores. I mean, it's that way now with all of the new reseller stores going up in Hong Kong, they're all using Apple's, I'm sure these are Apple-approved tables, maybe even Apple-designed tables, right? They want to control the entire widget from start to finish, and I think you're going to, as a result, you're going to start seeing fewer and fewer Apple products in, uh, um, I don't mean just just iPhones, I mean Apple made for iPhone accessories and things like that, in random electronic stores, right? You're only going to be able to buy this stuff at nice places that Apple has approved, and I think it's not just an extension of their hard-assness. It's a, a massive expansion of their, them trying to put their foot down and say, we want to control our brand even further from start to finish, which to me is really interesting given how open they're becoming on other fronts.
0: If you're right, one of the things that it does change is the ability to get, say, an iPhone case on launch day.
1: Usually can't get them on launch day anyhow because they have to wait for uh, the design to be announced, which is a week and a half before the phone hits the store. So,
2: and wasn't the, wasn't there wasn't there a thing a while ago that Apple would now start to punish case makers who yep. made cases before they officially knew.
1: Yeah, so if they were made for iPhone, um, like a Mophie battery pack, something that had to certify and connect with the Lightning connector. And they design and announce something before the product was announced, and they'd be penalized for it. So that's why the Mophis don't come out till like January or February after the iPhone launches with a new design. Right. Uh, I, I ran into one of these uh, when the iPhone 6 came out. I was running uh, a lot with my iPhone, um, and I had an arm band from a company called TuneBand, which was a made-for-iPhone case maker. And the iPhone 6 came out, and I couldn't run with my phone anymore. And I really needed a band to run with my phone. So I got some cheap Chinese knockoff, cost like a third of the price, looked exactly like a tune band, and it was available as soon as the phone came out because they based it on stolen schematics. But of course, it's not a made-for-iPhone accessory or case or anything because they based it on stolen stuff. So that's a problem with accessory makers that's going to continue.
0: Right. But there there has been for the past few years the ability to go into a Best Buy and there will be a display of, of compatible cases on launch day. and. As you say, now that's going to be even even more scarce. That's going to be even more difficult for people. Unless, of course, yeah, Apple get... releases to to blessed providers, blessed accessory makers, early enough that they can get in production, so there is supply and launch day.
2: Yeah, th- that was a secondary point that I was I was thinking about making, but decided not to because I really don't know why. Is that <laughs> it's 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 also a case of Apple will start to play favorites with accessory makers, right? Mm. And even more so than they are now. I guess they're kind of a kingmaker now. If you get in the Apple store, then you have a massive retail audience that you may not otherwise be able to... A massive affluent retail audience you may not otherwise be able to reach. But I guess the the long-term implication is that they're going to be even larger kingmakers than they already are, and saying that these are the companies that we will work with. And if you're not in this blessed you know, trio of of uh, external battery makers, then I guess you're kind of screwed. So. Well, they've
0: done that in the past a little bit, and it's, it actually is a great segue into the next topic. You know, they they blessed the first six people that could make AirPlay speakers back when they announced AirPlay, and they were Philips and Harman Kardon, Marantz, iHome, and, uh, you know, so forth like that, right? Uh, JBL was one of them back then. Now, with HomeKit we were talking about a couple weeks ago, they blessed Insteon, Lutron, and Echobee, and Echo B was in the Apple retail store on Tuesday. So they they have historically, especially for bigger hardware commitments like that, chosen who's going to be in the first wave to come out and blessed those guys to be the first
1: to release, right? Why why isn't Philips in the first wave of HomeKit? I still don't understand that. Uh, because Apple hates the Dutch. Well. <laughs> They were exclusive to Apple stores when that product launched. It was exclusive to iPhones. Something
0: happened that made that relationship change that they're not in. And I'd have no knowledge. This is just me speaking out of of my uh, thin air here. But if, if they were favored for AirPlay and they were favored for launching the Hue lighting system into the Apple retail store and they had those great relationships, something had to have changed for them to not be a part
1: of the HomeKit launch. Well, they're going to have to come out with new hardware to replace the hub. so they Right, don't play but, nice but HomeKit. Apple
0: gave them access to all of the hardware resources and dev kit and reference board and all of the stuff for AirPlay well in advance for Philips to be a part of AirPlay. HomeKit? No, no. I'm talking about history. Air- AirPlay. Oh, oh
1: okay. Got Something
0: it. changed in the relationship that they were not given that same access for HomeKit. Ah. Well, it's
2: also possible that Philips just didn't want to. Also possible.
0: But
1: that also goes to the state of the relationship. We're talking
0: about Apple, but it goes to the state of the relationship, doesn't it?
1: It's yeah, it's weird because you know Nest obviously that soured uh, because they were bought by Google. But I wonder if that was going sour before that or what. But Philips wasn't bought by anybody, obviously. But it's a similar situation that was exclusive to Apple stores, and then all of a sudden it was everywhere, and now they don't really. The
0: one thing I want to state about Philips is that. They have worked hard at partnering with a bunch of other people for for making Hue work. You know, they they have IFTTT. They are in the um, they are in the Pebble Watch Store. They yeah. work with the Almond Plus Securify Wi Fi Router. They they have not been protective about who they're going to work with. They're going to work with no. Everyone. They
1: opened it up. anybody can write apps for it. I actually have a cool one that I've used at parties. Uh, where it turns the Hue lights into disco lights and it'll use the microphone on your iPhone or iPad and it'll uh, pick up the beat of the music that's playing and then adjust the lights accordingly.
0: Right, and so maybe by being so open with all of these many other things
2: that dropped them from being a candidate for HomeKit? I mean, it's not it's like not Apple clear. hasn't it's been not clear. Be vindictive before. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Instagram is a, is a perfect recent example. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to mention, I've got
0: the HomeKit-enabled Echo B3 Smarter Wi-Fi Thermostat with remote sensors in my hands as we speak. It are, I, I got it today, actually. And HomeKit is, is this thing where, and this was actually in our forums, we had readers discussing in our forums, where it's not confusing at all that the Echo B3 Thermostat with HomeKit is named precisely in exactly the same way, in the exact same packaging as the Echo B3 without HomeKit
2: you mean it's not confusing
0: at all at I, all? I can't, sarcastically? no, not at all. Oh, or are you being <laughs> oh, I'm being sarcastic. It's not confusing at all. Um, the box is exactly the same. The only difference at all on this entire box is, is perhaps the barcode, which um, is slightly different. No one's ever going to notice. And on the very front in the lower left corner, it has a Works with Apple HomeKit logo from the licensing program. And so those are the only differences that you can look at this thing and tell that you have the HomeKit one.
1: It's going to take some time for them to work this out. Obviously,
0: it is, and they're they're supporting these two different models simultaneously. They're they're going to do firmware updates for both models simultaneously. But imagine if you bought the old one, and on their support forums, they had people saying, "If I buy the old one, you know, nine months ago, if I buy this one, w- will I be able to get HomeKit on it?" And at the time, some of their support reps were misinformed and said yes, and so people have been thinking that they were going to get home kit because by virtue of buying the thermostat nine months ago and they're not. So are they still
2: selling the old one? Oh yes. So you can, you can go on echo B store or whatever and buy either. Home
1: version. Depot. Yep. Yeah. It's a that's mess. Just Stupid. Yes.
2: I also got echo B. I, a guy who doesn't matter at all. Say that's stupid. <laughs>
1: I also got a delivery this week. It is not HomeKit related, but it's pretty awesome. I got the new Phantom 3 Professional Drone. um, And I figured I would uh, bring that up um, uh, to talk about that. And not only that, but the new GoPros that were announced this week. Um, We know GoPro is going to be getting into the uh, drone business next year as well. They've already signaled that. But uh, yeah, this new Phantom looks pretty awesome. I haven't taken it to the skies yet. Um, I haven't had the time and... Quite frankly, I have to look up the drone laws in New York City because the the last – well, the last time I flew a drone here um, when I was living in New York a couple of years ago – uh, it was the winter time, and I took it to Washington Square Park, and I flew it under the arch there, and I'm guessing if I did that now, I'd probably be arrested as a terrorist or something, so I don't feel like messing <laughs> around with that. You should do got...
0: that, Neil. You <laughs> should
2: totally fly that in Washington Square under the arch. Yeah.
1: that's Dude, I, that's
2: I, what, I, I, what I told him. I said, if you get arrested, it'll just make the story more interesting.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, great story. Well, but...
0: the, the downfall of that is that you will have difficulty filing the story from Rikers Island, but... On the whole, it'll be an awesome story.
1: <laughs> well, I, I got to look it up because now you can't fly in certain areas. They're a little more strict about it, and people are aware of these things a little more now. A few years ago, when I flew it, it was a novelty. You should
0: you should fly by a bridge. You should go to the bridges there, and you should fly by a bridge. That would be epic.
1: I saw one. Uh, I was going for a run down in Dumbo the other day, um, and someone was flying one right next to the uh, to the bridge, to Brooklyn Bridge down there. Yeah. Uh, so. I, they weren't arrested, so maybe I could go down there. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little scared because the last drone I had, um, I took it to my parents' house in Florida, and I was showing it to them, and I was flying out back, and it was windy. And I think the GPS lost signal for a second, and the thing just went haywire, and it crashed. And the drone survived, but the camera broke. And so like if, as if it isn't nerve-wracking enough to be flying a $1,500 piece of equipment that you don't own, uh, to fly one after you broke the last one you flew, um, I'm a little nervous. Well, I don't at, feel like you know losing it into. Uh, at, at
0: some point, they'll stop giving them to you.
1: But I, you won't.
0: You won't know what that point is until you I break know. another one.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, uh, I don't feel like losing it into the East River, so I'll probably stick over land where there aren't a lot of people. I don't. If you, I mean, if you hit somebody with one of these, you'd kill them. You know, if this thing came flying out of the air at 30 miles an hour or whatever it flies at kill somebody so i i'd I'd like to not have that happen uh thankfully that one incident was the only time i ever had it the the other times i've flown these things it's worked great it's been awesome Um, so you need
2: to find some open land in new york city without a lot of people (laughs) i like those requirements
1: (laughs) i flew one of these in the canadian rockies a couple years ago up in banff and uh it was negative 30 degrees out Um, which is coincidentally the same temperature in both Fahrenheit and Celsius. And uh, it worked fine there. Um, I've flown it uh, in all kinds of conditions and places and haven't really had any issues. So uh, fingers crossed this this one will take flight okay. But I'm excited. The new controller is really awesome. I don't have to worry about their Wi-Fi connection stuff anymore. It works through a lightning port. Uh, It holds an iPad, so I get that nice big screen to see the video. It streams 720p uh, feed from the camera to the iPad, um, up to 1.2 miles away. Uh, the new controller is it's got an integrated battery, no more double A's in there. Uh, it's got nice padding on the outside, rubber eyes uh, for grip and stuff, uh, buttons for recording hardware, uh, hardware buttons so you don't have to touch the touch screen on your iPad. Uh, this thing looks really cool, and I'm excited to take to the skies with it. Uh, but I wanted to bring that up in the context of the new smaller GoPro, which uh, Obviously, being smaller, um, lacks some of the functionality of the other ones, but it costs four hundred dollars. And when I look at that, and I think, f- and I hear four hundred dollars, that just—it's—I think it's too much for this uh, device. What do you guys think?
2: I think my answer to that hinges. I don't own a GoPro, first of all, uh, but I told Neil this the other day when it was announced. I'm in the market. Um, I'm leaving. Ne- Sorry, guys, I won't be on the podcast next week or the week after. I'm leaving for a long and well-overdue vacation in Tropical Paradise. Um, but my wife wants to do her diving certification, and I already have mine have for a long time, and so we can dive together. And thus, I'm in the market for a GoPro or similar uh, high-definition waterproof camera. So my question is, what does the big GoPro do that this one doesn't?
0: You, you get a goofy LCD screen on the big one.
1: Uh, not all of them. Uh, depending on the one you get, um, some of them don't have LCD screens. Uh, I have the Hero Three Plus, and I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, it records 4K video, like something like 12 frames per second, something I never use. Um, but you know, 1080p, 60 frames per second, you don't lose a lot of that functionality um, uh, on the smaller one. The problem is um, the interface of GoPro has always been kind of clunky. Um, they have this screen on the front where you can change modes. Now you got to do that with your phone. So let's say you're, you know, like I've sometimes taken them scuba diving and, you know, you're 80 feet below the surface of the ocean. And you want to change to take a photo instead of a video or change your recording mode or something like that. Um, you're going to have some some issues with that um, with the smaller one. But if you just want to record and go, uh, it's smaller, so it fits into tighter spaces. But it's not like the GoPro is that big, Um I feel like if this thing was like 250, uh, it might be a better buy for some people. But at 400, dollars I realize you know it's smaller and they had to cram the components, and there's a reason it costs so much. But especially now, you know, I'm looking at this drone. It costs uh, 1250, and that's for the 4K video model that I have. If you get the entry level one, it's a thousand bucks, and it's got a gimbal and it's got all this stuff, um, and it flies. Uh, and then you have this little camera for 400 bucks. I think the price is just too much. It's called the uh, the Session, right? Um, I think the Session at 400 is too much.
0: Yeah, well, here's what I want out of a GoPro. I, I once shot a documentary using GoPros, and it was it was difficult because I was putting them on, on a gimbal to try and, and clear up any kind of handshaking and things like that when we were walking around interviewing people. And fine, I, I like that the Session is symmetric, that the lens is directly over the top of the tripod mount, which means that if I put it on a gimbal, I don't have to work as hard to balance it. It's going to line up with the lens perfectly. It's going to be great. But... Why haven't they put in a gyroscope and an accelerometer into the camera and done what Hyperlapse app does on the iPhone or what Microsoft's research was doing with GoPros and Steadicam ideas where you you track the bumps and you track when the camera is jittering and then account for that in software afterwards to get rid of the bumps and smooth out the video? Because it's an action camera and that's what I want out of it.
1: I think those bumps are kind of part of the appeal for a lot of people who use this thing, right? Because it's first person. Mm -hmm. uh, You really feel like that's, you know, one of the things that bothers me about the GoPro when I'm shooting with it, but they'll never get rid of it, is the the wide fisheye lens. Because it makes everything look so small, you know? Like, I'll go skiing or something and record with it. And you know I'm riding something pretty serious or whatever or serious for me I guess <laughs> nothing crazy but uh, Triple black diamond. yeah yeah like it seems pretty impressive to me and then I go back and look at the footage and it looks like I'm on like a flat hill you know it's like, what is this crap so the the fisheye ruins anything from a distance it looks small, it looks insignificant it doesn't it doesn't produce good images. it's all about capturing the world around you it close up um, and getting a good angle on that stuff and so with a fisheye lens, you can just set it up anywhere and not have to worry about checking to make sure in the frame because you know it's going to get everything and you don't have to worry about it. Right. So I think you know, for them, they just want to up the, the picture quality clearly and that's just what they keep doing every year. It's more, 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 more. I don't know how much you need 4K. I'd like to see them uh, slow their roll a little bit and do the kind of stuff you're talking about. Maybe improve the interface, improve the battery life uh, because these things die um, quickly. So I, I love GoPro. Um, I stand by their products, and, and, and I think they're pretty great. I don't know how much people need 4K video, <laughs> uh, you know, on their new high-end uh, Hero 4 Black or whatever, uh, 30 frames per second 4K. Everything's shooting in 4K now. You know, this, this drone is shooting in 4K that i got here. I don't, does anybody have a 4K TV? Do we really need this content? I don't know.
0: All right. I want to close out on a high note. I like our listeners. Our listeners ask questions. Let's run through the listener questions. You ready? Let's do it. All right. First question. Najeeb Khan from Twitter asks, do we expect a new entry-level iPhone this year, e.g., an iPhone 6C?
1: I don't know if it'll be a plastic model, but you'll definitely see a new entry-level model because that's the way that they do it. They will uh, take the uh, current $100 model, which is the iPhone 5S, and push it down to the free-on-contract. So you should expect a new... uh, four inch phone not necessarily new but rebranded potentially maybe with a plastic back maybe not maybe it'll look just like the iphone 5s um and that will probably mean touch id um, on the free phone now which would mean that every phone apple is selling at that point would have touch id
0: the boogie down asks why can't i find music in match that i know i uploaded can't find an album artist but can search in ios and find specific songs Because Apple sucks at search? Because Apple sucks, yes. That's sad but true. Um, Stu Duncan asks, why does hip-hop show up for In My For You Apple Music, even after I reset and I only choose rock? Because Apple sucks at search? Yeah. Uh, Joe Stewart asks, why do tweets from Apple's news app only support iOS 9 devices? Links don't work for other devices.
1: It's beta software, so wait till the final release is out, and then if it's still an issue, then we'll talk about it, but... It's kinda hard to complain about iOS nine only things right now when it's still beta.
2: On that subject. On that subject, everyone who's listening, we know the app doesn't work well on iOS nine. Yes. We have insider
1: app. Please, Please download stop. it on the app store. Email,
0: this is Can really the it? curse of everyone having access to beta and thinking that things ought to be final.
1: Well, and just today as we're recording this, uh, Apple made it available, so the public beta for everybody. So that means we're going to be getting more of these emails from people informing us that our app does not work on the iOS 9 beta. We know it's beta software. Our developers are working on it. And I am not in charge of that line of things, but hopefully it will be updated by the time iOS 9 comes out in September.
0: Okay. Let's see here. Ah, here's a good one. Uh A reader writes, I'd love to know if we can expect a new line of Retina MacBook Pros or iMacs. I need more gaming power.
1: Power. Well, if if you want to game on your MacBook Pro, you're going to want to get a 15-inch model. Uh, The 15-inch model was just recently updated. It did not get the latest generation Intel processors, but it did get the Force Touch trackpad. Uh, and it has a dedicated GPU. You could technically game on the 13-inch, but it doesn't have a dedicated GPU, so not your best option there. But since both of those were updated in recent months, I wouldn't expect it an update anytime soon, so maybe early 2016. Uh, the iMac was also recently updated, so I wouldn't expect one there either. Uh, the best candidate for an update would be the 21.5-inch iMac, uh, which is kind of overdue for a retina display. But we haven't really seen any indications that that's coming anytime soon, uh, so don't hold your breath.
2: Not to mention that even if they were to update it tomorrow, I don't think that you would see a proportionally more powerful, uh, GPU. No. So if you do want a uh, game, if, if you do want to game on your MacBook pro or your iMac, you should try to bootcamp because it actually works surprisingly well, but you're not going to suddenly get a GTX 980 TI in an iMac. So don't even hold your breath.
1: Yeah. There's no real sense in waiting if you want a game on your Mac, um, Get yourself a 15-inch MacBook Pro right now, uh, and you'll probably be okay.
0: Last question. What happened to Apple's quality control? So many bugs and graphical errors since Jobs passed away. Seems the motivation is gone. <laughs> and that's from Twitter. That's not me. That's that's I'm reading a tweet that we had from a user named you Mark. It in
2: such a melancholy fashion. Now I yeah. feel sad.
1: Yeah, I'm sure when it was typed, it was not... Uh, sad. It was more angry. We, I, I see a lot of those. Shall permits. I reread it with anger? No, don't read <laughs> it. You know, it, this kind of crap has been going on for a long time. Oh, you know, Apple's not the same after Steve left. Uh, you know, it's you know Tim Cook doesn't know how to manage products. He's a he's a guy who's better in charge of the supply chain. He can't. He doesn't have vision. Blah 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 blah. Apple under Steve Jobs had so many stinkers of products uh itunes ping is an example that i can come up with uh uh mobile you can me, run that, mobile G4 me cube. <laughs> any really any web-based service that apple's done <laughs> even before mobile me uh, the iphone back.
2: one without copy and paste <laughs>
1: the, the with, iphone without one, picture without,
2: messaging
1: without gps without 3g yeah. Um, there are a lot of products in Apple's past and services that they've put out that have been lacking in vision, lacking in uh, purpose, lacking in <laughs> polish. Yeah. So acting like this is a new thing for Apple is uh, you just, you are looking at the past with the rose tinted glasses, my friend. They're nice glasses.
2: This well, is a get, lot like. Get yourself
1: a rose gold iPhone, though.
2: <laughs> This is a lot like what happens after presidents leave office. They leave on a terrible note, and after four, or eight years, yeah. people see that them much more so favorably. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, right now, George W. Or not right now in in yeah June on June third, George W. Bush, who everybody essentially, even right wing Republicans, universally despised, has a fifty two percent favorable impression rating among U.S. adults. <laughs> So, you know, the world was not all roses under Steve Jobs.
1: Do you think wasn't. that we will ever have a time where we say, well, when Steve Ballmer was in charge of Microsoft, things were very <laughs> different.
2: I think we're going to have a time when we say, where, well, when Steve Ballmer was in charge of Microsoft, at least the stock price went up. I think the 7,000 <laughs> Nokia employees are feeling that right now, don't you? <laughs> somebody, somebody had a good point. Microsoft's, um, the agreement to acquire Nokia's hardware division only says that Nokia can't make phones until 2016. And so the theory is that Nokia is just going to hire back all of these people Microsoft fired and go back to
1: making phones again
2: <laughs> with, with $7 billion extra in cash.
1: If at first you don't succeed. That's yeah, not? not
2: a bad theory, actually.
0: What would they, what would they make? Would they make... Uh... Android phones. Probably so-
1: Android, yeah.
0: Yeah. Honestly, maybe, a Lumia maybe pull a an Android Amazon. Lumia?
2: An Android Lumia would, uh, like a, a Nexus Android Lumia, would automatically really be nice the best selling. Yeah, yeah. automatically be the best selling Android phone in the world. I think Samsung. If if Nokia came and made a totally badass, pure Android phone, I think Samsung would be screwed.
1: I could see Nokia doing an Amazon awesome. and, and really forking uh, Android and kind of doing their own thing.
2: No, I think Nokia's had enough of that. They they've <laughs> tried that eighteen times now and totally failed.
1: Do you really think they've learned their lesson, though? I mean, they
2: went exclusively Windows Mobile at the end, or Windows Phone at the end, which is what got them bought by Microsoft. They were what, the last. What, what Windows lesson Windows would you not maker. learn from
1: that? <laughs> that, was, that was please yeah. buy us, please.
2: Well, I mean, it was not only a please buy us, but it was Microsoft saying if we don't buy them, there will be, there literally nope. will be nobody, because HTC had already stopped. So there will be yeah. nobody else making Windows phones, right?
0: Yeah. Right. But
2: yeah, could yeah. you imagine a, a, like a badass Lumia with a, like a 40 megapixel camera running stock Android? Who would buy a Galaxy S6 over that?
0: Right. And on that note, if Nokia introduced an Android phone or Apple makes a gaming laptop, you'll hear about it here on the Apple Insider podcast. I've been your host, Victor Marks, with our managing editor, Neil Hughes. Neil, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Well, you can read my stuff at Apple Insider, and I am on Twitter at ThisIsNeil.
0: Shane, presuming you come back from this this tropical um, paradise that you're off to, where can people find you?
2: I, too, uh, will theoretically continue to be on Apple Insider, and <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Shane Cole underscore, but I will continue to warn you, you should not follow me, because I'm very boring.
0: And I'm at vmarx on Twitter. This has been the Apple Insider Podcast, recording
1: 2015.